worth living. Listen, we're on part three of this uh, series on angels and demons. And I'll tell you, this study has helped me so, so much. Um, It's opened my eyes to things that I didn't know, reinforced some things that I thought I knew, um, and just encouraged me as a Christian to realize how much more powerful God is than the evil that we see in this world. And uh, so I'm not going to rehash what we've discussed the last couple of podcasts. Hopefully you'll go back and listen to those if you you haven't had a chance to. But the, the genesis of, of this study here was the result of, a, uh, of an interview, a Zoom call that I had with a, a university student who was doing a project for a humanities class. And uh, she asked me a series of questions concerning angels and demons. And this is the last uh, part of that series. I think we're picking up on question nine. She had several questions. So this is the last couple of questions she asked me. And I'll just share it with you, uh, things that I shared with her and a little bit more in-depth study of, of uh, of what I've done personally just in preparation for this podcast. But this, this ninth question, uh, that she asked me is, is Satan permitted in heaven? Is Satan permitted in heaven? And if I read that question, literally, uh, it's asking, uh, she's asking, uh, or we ask ourselves, if you will, is Satan currently permitted in heaven? And the reason why I ask that question that way is because the Bible is clear in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, um, that Satan definitely had access to God and interfaced with God. And I'll read to you in Job there in chapter 1, verses 6, uh, 6 and 7, and then I'll skip to verse 12. But There it says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then I skip back down to uh, verse 12, where it says, then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So clearly, if Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, it's very clear and evident that he was in the presence of the Lord, that he had access to God, to talk to God, to listen to God, even after he had, uh, you know, reached a point of pride and and really lost uh, his celestial angelic <laughs> uh, attributes. And so uh, there we see that at some point in history, in the history of mankind, that Satan did have access to God. Well, that leads to another question then, and that's this. Will he ever be permanently kicked out of heaven with no more access to God? Will that ever happen before before the obvious point in time when he's thrown into the lake of fire, which is hell, and never again to have any level of authority or power? So before that happens, will he be permanently kicked out of heaven? Let me share with you another scripture, as, as always. There's so many scriptures that are so so pertinent, and they, they give us such good insights. But here's one in Isaiah 14, verse 12. And it says this, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. And there that, that term, morning star, that's the only place in the Bible that I can find uh, where the, the name Lucifer is is used. In this version, it's gives the 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 meaning of the of the name Lucifer morning star but it says how you have fallen from heaven morning star son of the son of the dawn 
You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. And so here it's telling us it sounds pretty certain um, that there will be a time where Satan is permanently booted out of heaven with no more access to God. But let's look at a couple of other scriptures. And here's here's a, a thought. Um, what happens, uh, or excuse me, when this happens, what will this mean to you and me? In other words, when Satan is permanently kicked out of heaven, what does that mean for you and me as Christians, as people who have asked Jesus into our lives, who are following Jesus, well, in Luke 10, 18, verses 18 through 20, we see exactly what it means, and it actually means some really gives us some good news. Here it goes. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus saw this. He he in this in this verse it almost seems as if he's foretelling it. In verse 19, he says, And I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you. See, he was talking to his disciples because his disciples were successfully exercising uh, uh, their authority over (laughs) demonic powers and people. And they were happy about it. But he said, "Don't, don't be happy about that. But rejoice that your name is written in heaven. So the question again is, what what does it mean for Satan to be booted out of the uh, out of heaven? It says here that when that happens, we will be given authority over all the power of the enemy. Praise God! So actually, I am very much looking forward to the day when Satan is completely kicked out of heaven, and if in fact that has already happened. I think I need to start exercising my authority over the power of evil in this world. So here's another question, kind of a leading question here. And is it possible that this event has already taken place, that Satan has already been permanently uh, excommunicated, if you will, booted, kicked out, thrust out of heaven? Well, in John 12, verses 30 through 33, Jesus says something interesting. While he was still here on earth uh, in in human flesh, Jesus said, this uh, this voice was not for your benefit, uh, was, excuse me, this voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time of judgment for this world. Now, listen to this word, now the prince of this world has been driven out. Jesus was saying, it's happening now. In verse 32, and I, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now, Jesus was talking when when the, the meaning of him being lifted up referred to his crucifixion. When he was lifted up uh, through his crucifixion, he would draw all men to himself. So, again, this, this scripture seems to make it very clear that Satan's demise, this thrusting out of heaven, was something that was imminent. It was happening at that time that uh, that Jesus was alive. So then the question would be is what event could possibly have thrust Satan out of heaven, kicking him out permanently so that he no longer had audience with God? Well, there's an incredible scripture that gives quite a bit more detail and also seems to give a chronology of when this would happen. So let's read it. It's in Revelations 12, verses 5 through 12. 
And I'll, I'll read and then do a little bit of an explanation here, interpretation. But it reads this way in Revelations 12, verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Let's, let's just take a, a quick pause here. Because who is she? Who is this, this, this referencing, this scripture referencing? Well, she refers to Israel, the, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. Uh, that through the nation of Israel, a male child would be born to rule all the nations with an iron scepter, obviously referring to Jesus, to Jesus who's going to reign eternally and is in the process of reigning eternally even right now. And and so it says here uh, that, um, this is very important to, to pick out here, that her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. Well, that's precisely what happened after Jesus' death, his resurrection, and his ascension to heaven. He was he was enthroned. He was taken up to heaven uh, to his throne. So what happens to the woman? That's the, 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 the Jewish nation. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And when you get into prophecy, the, the timing uh, is often not precisely literal. Uh, there's meaning behind it, um, and there's many that have you know, sought to interpret that timing. But the point here is that the, the Israel uh, fled into a place prepared for her by, by her God, in, in my opinion, uh, strong opinion, that's, that's the land of, of Palestine, where Israel currently is. That's the place where they are protected um, from <laughs> from many close neighbors and from this world. But it goes on in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. When did war break out in heaven? When Jesus uh, was snatched up to God and to his throne. At that time, war broke out in heaven. Michael, uh, who's, who's an archangel referred to several times in the Bible, and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Well, who's the dragon? Well, it's referring to Satan, as you'll see very clearly uh, described here in the following scripture. So the angels, Michael and his angels, when Jesus ascended into heaven, fought against the dragon, against Satan and his demon angels. And then in verse 8, but he was not strong enough, the dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. Pause and think about that for a second. Even after, you know, Satan's uh, pr- prideful uh, attempt to overthrow God Almighty, he still had a place in heaven for some reason. And here it's saying that they lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down. <laughs> I love that. Satan just didn't fall from heaven, he was cast out, he was hurled from heaven. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. You see, the event that caused Satan to be thrown out of heaven was the ascension of Jesus up to heaven, which is an amazing thought, which we'll discuss here in just a second. But in verse 10 of Revelations 12, Now when I heard, uh, excuse me, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now has come the salvation and the power 
and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah, referring to Jesus. For the accuser of our brothers and sister who's, sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So the devil is the Satan is referred to as the accuser of the brothers and sisters. He's the accuser of Christians. And so I, I want you to pause and think about this. This is amazing. He is no longer in front of God accusing you. He's no longer in the presence of God uh, condemning you or throwing you under that proverbial bus. He has no more audience with God. He's unable to accuse you to God. So what does he resort to? He's accusing you personally to you every day of your life, condemning you, reminding you. Remember that the devil is referred to as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And lions roar to paralyze their prey so that they don't have to work so hard and in trying to capture their prey. Let me tell you, as a Christian, the only thing the devil has on you is, is his roar. And if you won't listen to him, he can't do anything to you. His roar is his condemnation against you, his judgment against you, his reminders of your past failures. But he can't get to God to talk to you about about you anymore. Isn't that comforting? Absolutely amazing. Now look at verse 11 of Revelation 12. It says, they triumphed over him. Okay, so he's hurled down to the earth. He's condemning us. He's judging us. He, he's, he's trying to roar at us, lie, at, lie to us. But it says they, we, as Christians, we have triumphed over him. How? Well, listen to this. There's three things uh, that, that come as part of our triumph over the enemy and his roars and his con- condemnation against us. And there are these, by the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus did at the cross, he disarmed powers and principalities. And they no longer have power or authority over us. All they have is their lies. All right, by the blood of the Lamb, nothing to do with us Only what Jesus did has done and is completed for us. The blood of the lamb helps us win in life. But that's not it. That's not the only thing. It says also by the word of their testimony. Let me tell you, it's one thing to read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible. It's quite another thing to speak the word of God out loud to yourself to others. That's exactly and precisely what Jesus did to overcome the devil when he was in the wilderness, when he was tempted those 40 days and 40 nights. What did Jesus do? He spoke the word of God. There's going to be times when you feel like you can't hear from God. And that's exactly the place where Jesus was. The only time he could hear his father's voice was when he himself spoke his father's word. And you and I, we need to do the exact same thing. It's part of triumphant living to speak the word of God so that we can hear his voice in our lives. Now, I can't tell you for how long, because I've memorized this scripture and used it many times to encourage myself and others, But I thought that that was it. We have triumphed by the blood of the Lamb and by the testimony of our word. And I stopped there. But there's actually a third very, very important aspect to triumph. And let me read it to you. It goes on. It says, They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. 
They did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. What is that speaking to? Is that speaking to our, you know, that, that we're so brave that we're willing to physically die for, for Jesus? Well, it could certainly mean that. But let me tell you something that has far more meaning and impact and something that you can apply today. And it's, it's, it's dying to your selfish self. Remember, if you've ever looked at, at being baptized, which is one of the sacraments of the church, you're, you're submerged underwater, representing the burial of your old self, the death to your old self. And when you come up out of the water, it's being, you're, you're being, uh, it symbolizes that you're being raised to new life in Jesus. So, so what does it take to triumph in this life? You and I, we need to die to our old self, that selfish self that we don't like anyways, the addictive self, the fearful self, the worried self, the, 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 the self that struggles with a, maybe a bipolar disorder, that self, the angry self, the, the, the self that lusts or is greedy or lies, steals, cheats. We want to die to that self anyways. So we may as well not love our lives so much as to shrink from death. Let's put off the old self by nailing, as the Bible says, by nailing our old self to the cross with Jesus. And as Jesus died for our sins, we die to our sins, to our selfish self. Powerful scripture there in Romans 12, 11. Last verse here in, in Romans 12, though, it says, Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Now, check this out. You might think, well, I'm not going to be in heaven until I die physically and, and I've lived my life for the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not what this scripture is saying. Because in Ephesians 2, and I think it's verse 6, it says, We have been seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. So we say, rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Who is that? That's you and me. If we've asked Jesus into our hearts, we are seated in heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. But woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has gone down to you and he is filled with fury because he knows that his time is short. So what event kicked Satan out of heaven? I believe the, the Bible is clear clear to me that it was the ascension of Jesus to take his rightful throne, leaving no place for the devil or his hordes of demons. So here we see Jesus ascending into heaven and at the same time say, Satan being kicked down from heaven. Jesus is going up, the enemy is going down, and and as and, and the same goes for you and me. I've already mentioned this verse. It is Ephesians 2, 6. Here it is. I'm sorry. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. So as Jesus rose, Satan fell. Guess what? As you and I rise up with Jesus into those heavenly realms, Satan is falling from those heavenly realms. And and get this. This is so exciting to me. Satan has no access to God now from what I read in the Bible. Zero access to God. But guess what? You have access to God. You have the upper hand in life. The Bible shows us how to be triumphant, how to be victorious, how to win in life. You have access to God that Satan has zero access to. Unbelievable. 
Let's look at uh, another uh, another question that came from this university student. She asked, do you believe in demon possession before Jesus's time? How about during Jesus's time? And, and what about in the world today? Are, are people demon possessed in this world today? Well, I'll tell you this. I, I've studied as, as best I can the Old Testament, and I don't see anywhere in the Old Testament where someone was referred to as being demon possessed. That being said, the evil nature of people, both in historic accounts and non-historic accounts, makes it very evident that people were demon-possessed prior to Jesus coming to live on this earth and dying for our sins. It, there, there could be no doubt. In fact, if you go back to the account in Genesis before the flood, before Noah, I think at that time the earth suffered more violence and, and more sin than we may have ever seen to this day. Uh, so, you know, from people's behavior and actions, I think it's fairly clear that in Old Testament times, there definitely were those who were demon-possessed. And there's clearly numerous examples uh, in the New Testament during Jesus' life and then also uh, his disciples after him. But I'll just give one quick example in Matthew eight sixteen. It says there, when evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, that is to Jesus, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Praise God. In fact, there's another place. I wish I could remember where where it is. But it refers to um, God (laughs) driving out the enemy with his finger. And I would go as far to say with God's pinky. (laughs) That's how powerful God is. Um, so those who are possessed uh, of, of a demon, um, you know, God can drive that out of them. That can drive, God can drive that out of them. In fact, the word possessed simply means to be owned. If I possess a car, well, I own a car, possess a house, I own a house. And so when we're talking about being possessed of a demon, it's, it's, it's when uh, the satanic owns us. It, it literally uh, masters us. But the Bible says that you and I, we are owned by, we belong to God. Therefore, we're owned by God. We're possessed by God. We're God's very own possession. Praise God. We don't have to worry about this as, in, in Christ, in, as Christians. But we'll get to that in just a second. I mean, what about today? So that's the, that's the New Testament. What about today, post-New Testament? Uh, 2,000 years later, can people be uh, demon-possessed? I think think from the violence and the abuse that we see, the things that we see in the news today, maybe you've experienced personally, I think without a doubt there are those who can be demon-possessed and are demon-possessed because of of their violent and abusive nature. And so then, then you have to ask yourself, how does demonic possession even happen so that you and I, we can make sure that it doesn't happen to us. Well, number one, if you can make a mental note or if you're jotting down some notes right now, number one is simply a lack of Jesus in your life. If you don't have Jesus in your life, the door is open to quite a bit of evil coming in and taking over your life. And it kind of begs the question, you know, can a Christian be demon-possessed? 
And the answer is unequivocally no. I'm shocked at the Christians out there who purport that Christians can be demon-possessed, that believe. I mean, that's crazy. Let, Let me give you some scriptures that will immediately shut that argument down. In 2 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 16, for instance, it says, What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Now, Belial was a uh, another name for Satan at that time. Or, or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? And what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. And, and I want to pause there in the middle of that scripture. If we're the temple of the living God and God is living in our lives, in our temples, so to speak, there's no room for evil. There's no room for for demonic anything in our lives. Now that you know the the influences of this world can oppress us, but not possess us. That's very different. And so here's what this this Second uh, Corinthians uh, six continues to say. Here is as God has said, I will live with them. I will walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Remember what I was telling you about about belonging to God, about being a possession of God, about being possessed by God, they will be my people. We belong to God. We don't belong to the enemy. There's no way he can possess us if we're possessed of God. Colossians chapter 1, 13, here's another one. It says, uh, but for he has rescued us. This is God. He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What is dominion? Well, there again, it has to do with mastery. It has to do with being owned by something. And you and I, all of us, we were owned by darkness at first. We were under the dominion of darkness. But it says he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. Praise God. You belong to Jesus. If you've asked the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, Uh, There's no demon in hell that can possess you or own you. You belong to Jesus. You are saved. And listen to this. You are safe. The most beautiful picture to me is Noah after he spent, I don't know how long it was. If I recall, it was over 100 years building this ark in anticipation of the great flood uh, that destroyed the world. The Bible says that as Noah went into the ark, he got his family in it. He had all the the animals described in that story. It says God shut the door behind him. Let me tell you what. When you come into the Lord Jesus Christ, giving your life to him, you come under his canopy, under his care. The Lord shuts the door behind you, and you are not only saved, you are safe. Wow. Powerful, powerful stuff. 1 John 2.13, again, answering that question, can, can, demons, can, can Christians be possessed by demons? Well, look at this scripture. It says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, if something's possessing you, you have not overcome it. But here it's talking about young Christians. Well, how much more semi-young Christians, how much more older Christians who've been in the faith for quite some time, if new Christians have overcome the evil one, how much more have we who have been in the faith for quite some time as well? First John 4, 4, I can't help myself. Forgive me, man. These are, these are great scriptures, man, that refute that silly argument uh, that Christians can be demon-possessed. Man, what, what a crazy thing to think. But here it goes, First John 4, 4, 
You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you, there's that possession. God is in us. The spirit of God is in us. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And who's the one that's in the world? The one that was hurled out of heaven and thrown down to here on earth. Praise God. The one that's in us is greater than the one that's in the world. Well, I'd asked the question here. Let's uh, look at this. How does demonic possession happen? What well, happens when there's a lack of Jesus in your life? It can happen. It doesn't happen to everybody. I, I'm in no way saying that people who don't have Jesus are all demon possessed because that's certainly not true either. We're just saying, how does this happen? Well, a lack of Jesus. But here's here's the second key piece to this is opening yourself to evil. Open your opening yourself to evil. And let me let me share with you some very practical ways you can go out and open yourself to evil. And one of them is sexual promiscuity. If you're sleeping around with uh, everybody in sight <laughs> and you're promiscuous, let me tell you what, when you're doing that, you're not you're opening up your soul to just about anything imaginable. Sexual promiscuity opens your soul to all kinds of evil. And so if, if you want that, if you want to be owned by evil, then be sexually promiscuous. But here's, here's another way. Is, is drugs, you know, abusing drugs and alcohol, even prescription medication, as you, as you are drunk or high, your, your soul is wide open. There's no defenses there. And things can come into you that you would have never wished on yourself. And that's how addiction sticks so strongly. This Addictions are spiritual in nature. Addictions are spiritual in nature. And so if we open ourselves up to the, to the spiritual side of things that are evil, by drugs and alcohol, abusing prescription medication, uh, you, can, you can be sure that you're going to be owned. You're going to be... You're very likely to to be possessed in some form or fashion. Uh, evil entertainment. Here's another one: occultic involvement. Occultic involvement is is trying to get answers by spiritual means that don't include God. <laughs> I I just there, there's no use for you to sign up for a graveyard tour to to see the haunts or what's going on at a graveyard or at some mansion somewhere don't do it you're opening yourself up to things that you don't want to open yourself up to and certainly don't consult somebody uh some to 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 conjure up a dead relative to tell you something don't go to a bruja don't don't do those things because they open you up to the possibility of demonic possession you don't want that Here's a couple of other things, though, is an abusive past with which you haven't dealt. You just covered it over. The scars are still there, and and you just haven't dealt with your abusive past. You, you need healing, and without healing, bad things can happen. Bad things can happen. And so to, to go along with that would be unchecked hatred or bitterness, anger. Those types of things open you up to a lot of evil that you don't want in your life. So what's the result of demonic possession? Well, violence, 
abusiveness, extreme selfishness and pride, per all kinds of personality disorders uh, that that medi- medication uh, most of the time won't fix. There's even some some sickness and disability that can come from demonic possession. I'm please don't take me uh, to to believe that you know all sickness is demonic possession because it's not. But if you read in the New Testament, you find that there were instances where sickness and disability came as a result of demonic possession. And and when Jesus uh, when when Jesus cast out that demon. Uh, also went with it the sickness and that disability, but addictions uh, are could be potential evidence of demonic possession or extreme obsessive compulsive behavior. So here, here's just some 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 signs, and not always, but some signs that there could be demonic possession involved. So does does exorcism exorcism have to be a spectacle or spectacular night i'll tell you absolutely not not absolutely not when jesus moves into a life the devil has to move out of the life he's got to pack up his bags and he has to leave the 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 bible says you can't serve two masters okay and so when you invite your you invite Jesus into your life as master, he is pushing evil out the door immediately. Praise God. So so again, uh, if, if someone happens to have some level of demonic possession and, and they give their hearts to the Lord, I tell you what, those demons have to flee. They have to leave. They, they cannot be around where Jesus is because the Bible says that the anointing breaks the yoke. The pre, where the presence of the Lord is, there's no room for evil. There's no room for evil. Just like light immediately uh, chases away every bit of darkness, you, you can't have light and darkness. They can't coexist. Similarly, God cannot coexist in a person with the, with the enemy or with, with anything that's diabolical. So just a random question um, and then one last question. So let me... Let me read this to you. Um, this was asked as well. Do you believe that people turn into either angels or demons when they die? And I thought that was an interesting one. Um, I, you know, I've immediately felt fairly confident, very confident in saying um, no. And the reason is, is human beings are different than angels. We're a different being than angels, just like a dog and a cat are different. Uh, angels and human beings are just two different created beings. Um, let, let me read you this, this a couple of scriptures here. Hebrews 9 verse 27, it says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face the judgment. Um, we're not going to be transformed into any kind of angels. Now the Bible is very clear uh, that there's a spiritual aspect to us that lives on beyond our physical lives and goes to be judged by the Lord. The Bible also talks about us receiving a new glorified body for those of us uh, who are covered by Jesus, who have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts and into our lives. We'll receive a new body, but we won't become angels. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, this is just amazing. The Apostle Paul says, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? Uh, 
you and I as Christians will judge angels. Now, which angels will we be judging? Well, I guarantee you the fallen angels and Satan himself. And I cannot wait. I cannot wait to judge Satan and condemn him to eternal hell. I, I can't wait. I have, uh, a, what I guess you could call it a holy hatred for Satan. I came to realize several years ago, it's either me or him. There's no demilitarized zone between us. Uh, it's either him or me, and it's not going to be me. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to judging angels. So how could we, if we were transformed into angels, judge angels that that doesn't make any sense so good question uh with a a fairly easy answer and here's the last question we'll we'll end with this one um it's an interesting one and and this this uh university student asked me this question have you ever had an angelic or demonic encounter and if so please describe it well tell you what i uh i told her straight up you know that's a pretty personal question but because you're asking me that question, I'll answer it. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just not a big fan about talking about these experiences because, first of all, they're personal. But secondly, uh, people could think that you're a little bit weird, right? They could think you're a little bit of a freak and maybe you, uh, you know, you're out there and <laughs> you've lost touch with reality. But by the same token, I think it is important to talk about these things because let's face it, I think most every human that's lived a while has had some kind of surreal experience, some kind of, you know, <laughs> kind of a freakish thing happened to them. And they're afraid to talk about it because they think, well, maybe it was my imagination. You know, maybe that didn't really happen. But so it's 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 good. I don't think it's great to talk about it all the time, but it's not bad to mention some of these experiences. So I will I will describe, as I did for this young lady, um, two experiences that I've had in my lifetime. One, call it angelic experience, and one, call it demonic experience. So the first one, when I was a teenager, um, I actually was uh, lived in Spain uh, most of my growing up years, all the way up until I was 18 years old and and in Spain and I lived in Madrid um, Madrid has a, a very extensive subway uh, you know metro system subway system and um, at that time I think I was had to have been 17 years old maybe 16 but I'm pretty sure I was about 17 years old and um, I was not living for Jesus um, not even close all right in fact uh did a lot of things that I was now I'm quite quite ashamed of, um, but I had a couple of friends. Uh, I was a bad influence on them, and they were a bad influence on me. But the the three of us were walking through from one one subway platform to another. There's extensive halls and stairs and whatnot that you have to walk through. But I remember walking through this hall, and all of a sudden, this panic, absolute sheer panic, gripped me and my two friends. And we did the only thing we needed to do. We started running, <laughs> running, running down this 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 hallway, a subterranean hallway to the next kind of subway platform. And I'll never forget looking and watching that there, there was other people, not a ton of people, but there was other people in you know walking uh, towards us. And I saw the same panic get into these people and they started running everybody I saw as I looked around was running 
And so um, now back in those days, this was back in the 80s, late 80s, um, there was a Basque terrorist group that would, you know, frequently try to bomb parts of Spain, especially the capital there in Madrid. And I remember running and thinking, you know, is this a premonition of, <laughs> you know, something bad about to happen? And even though I wasn't serving the Lord, I certainly started praying <laughs> as I was running and asking for protection. You know, that's how we are. We when we run to God when things start falling apart. But anyways, as I was running, I was thinking, you know, what what is this? And we turned a corner into the platform, just just about to enter into the platform of of the uh, metro station we were going to my two friends ran on through and i didn't i hit an invisible wall is all i can tell you uh as i ran up against it whatever it was i literally couldn't see anything it was like i'd been put into a, a very dark fog so i backed up i remember backing up thinking what on earth just happened and I, I could literally could not see past the entrance into that that subway platform. So I tried to walk in, still couldn't do it. And uh, I knew I'd, I'd grown up in church. I'd grown up being taught about the things of God. I knew uh, that I'd run into an angel and that the angel. Uh, here, here's let me pause here and explain something. God puts yield signs in our in our path. And when we're headed in the wrong direction in life, he puts yield sign after yield sign showing us, you need to stop and turn around before I put a stop sign in front of you. Let me tell you what, when any of us hits one of God's stop signs, it's not a pretty sight. But this was a yield sign. And um, I'll tell you, I finally was able to get through that, (laughs) that entryway into the platform there. And just months later, man, God turned my life around. I started serving him. But I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. It was, it was a, a truly genuine, unbelievable experience that I had. The second experience that I'll share with you um, is kind of flipping the coin on the uh, kind of the demonic side. And just a little bit of a backdrop. I, uh, I, uh, <clears throat> always had this uh, fear growing up from a young, young age, all the way into my teenage years. I always had this fear that my dad was going to pass away. And I remember being a little kid and teenager uh, every night when I'd hear the door open when he was coming home, uh, just this big sense of relief. Oh my goodness, he's home. He's safe. Nothing happened to him. And it was just, it was an irrational fear. Um, but it was there always, always this under kind of undertone fear that that was just always there. Well, when I was, let's see, I was 18 or 19. Um, I remember having a very bad dream. And in my dream, my dad had, in fact, passed away. I was standing by his graveside uh, morning, obviously crying. And I looked to my right and there was a man coming towards me dressed in black Um, And it was so odd. He was laughing at me in a very evil way, laughing at me and pointing at me. And as he got closer, I could make out his face. And it was a very, very evil look on his face. And I could tell in my dream that this was was Satan. And um, he was mocking me and showing me, hey, look, what you feared most has actually happened. 
And so I looked it up at him, and since I was mourning, I'd already lost what I what I was fearing lost. I felt like I had nothing else to lose. I turned and looked at him, and I pointed in the opposite direction. I said, just leave. Get out of here. And in my dream, I was completely shocked because his face changed into disappointment. He kind of looked down. His shoulders dropped, and he turned around and walked away with a single command he had walked away from me. Well, I instantly uh, woke up and wide awake, I might add, and um, I saw some things in my room. I saw uh, some demons in my room, just to be perfectly honest with you. Um, But interestingly enough, something I'll never forget of what I saw was the largest part of their body was their mouth. In fact, their body, their, their mouth almost took up the entire part of their of their body. It was so large. And because I just had that dream, I was feeling pretty confident, <laughs> spiritually speaking. And I said, just leave in the name of Jesus. You see, by that time, I was actually living for the Lord, thank goodness. And instantly they left. And from that day forward to this day, I have never, ever struggled with that fear again. Absolutely unbelievable. And so I'll, I'll share those two experiences. You've probably had your own experiences, um, and, and don't deny them. You know, God reveals things to you. The enemy certainly wants to reveal things to you as well. But remember this, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. For every demon, there's two angels, praise God. God's power is infinitely stronger than that of the devil. The devil has been thrown out of heaven, has no more access to God. But remember, you do have access to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for my friends that are listening right now. Lord, you see their lives. You see where they're at. You see their needs. You see their struggles. Lord, you see their fears, their insecurities, their weaknesses. Lord, we all have them. Lord God, you are greater. You are awesome. Lord, the odds are infinitely stacked against the enemy and and the evil of this world. Praise God. God will triumph. And Lord, I pray that those who are listening, that they would triumph with you, that they would remember that the blood of the lamb, that's the sacrifice of Jesus there on the cross, causes them to to, to, to triumph. It causes them to triumph. Help them to begin to speak the word, to read the word, to speak it, to speak their testimony of what Jesus has done for their lives. Lord, that they wouldn't love their lives so much to shrink from the death to selfish self. And I thank you, Heavenly Father. Bless them, use them, keep them, guard their hearts, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen.